Peace be with you. Also here. Good to see y'all this morning, and uh, what a joy it is to, to be with you all. I feel like the uh, pulpit area is still uh, hot from the last two weeks as we had some gospel bombs being dropped by pastors, uh, Pastor TBJ and Pastor Justin Carl, uh, for which I am sure you are grateful for. Uh, while uh, I was away, I had the joy of going to uh, Europe on an international mission trip with Pastor Nathan Salone. Nathan Salone is our pastor of international missions, uh, and Pastor Josh Walshaw. Pastor Josh is our uh, pastor over our college uh, ministry. Uh, we had a blast, we had a great time, and the reason we uh, went to Europe was to visit uh, families that we as a church had the joy of sending out uh, each within uh, the last few years. So here at Midtown, uh, Midtown specifically, this, this Sojourn Church, we have uh, 25 uh, units, uh, whether it's families or uh, some singles who are on uh, the mission field. Uh, they have kind of uh, uprooted their life from here and from being a part of our church uh, as a result of a call to go to the mission field. And so we got to visit five of our families in three different cities. Uh, we got to go to Toulouse, uh, which is in France. It's a, a beautiful city, rich in history, uh, but unfortunately, uh, it, is, it is very lost. And so we got to visit some, some family there, some church members there who have been uh, serving faithfully for the last two years. In fact, uh, one of the most inspiring things about our visit there was seeing this team of three families that we sent there and how uh, they're just sharing their faith. This year alone, they shared their faith with 120 people. And uh, mostly, amen, 120. And when we talk about share your faith, they don't count half presentations or like mentioning God. It's like full out, this is what it means, uh, this is what the, the gospel means, this is, what, um, it, this is how it impacts your life. Over 120 in just a year. Um, it was awesome to be able to see them in their neighborhoods and in their communities and the way that they were just doing incarnational ministry. And so uh, they are, uh, Pastor Nathan, our missions pastor, uh, talked about how they are just years ahead of where we hoped they would be in that mission. Um, the second place we got to go was to uh, Lyon. And uh, while we were there, we got to uh, visit uh, families as well that was uh, from here. And uh, what stuck out to us there was uh, the, the work that they're doing. Uh, they've been there just for a few years and have already started a church. In fact, they've started um, holding a church, and that church um, has about 30 uh, people coming um, already. And where they're at, that's considered a mega church because um, they are, they're, they're such a minority. There's not a lot of evangelical Christians um, in that city. And so these are missionaries that are still on the stage that we've prayed for that we've sent uh, within the last several years on mission, representing our church, doing incredible things. Now, one thing that all three families have in, in, in common is, is hardship. Um, learning a new language, learning a new culture, um, going through persecution as all of them are in places where being a Christian is not only popular, but can get you in trouble. And uh, so they're learning to do that. They're practicing our church. And you know, uh, the dollars that you give, the prayers uh, that you pray is directly impacting the nation. We also had an opportunity to go to uh, Istanbul and spend time uh, uh, in, in Turkey. And uh, we got to care for a family there that just last year, around the time that we sent, that we prayed for the congregation sent. And they faced immense hardship there. 
and some really trying uh, times. But their joy in the Lord is shining, and they're still living on mission. And so uh, I'm just thankful for them. In uh, Istanbul, there are 20 million people. Okay? 20 million people. Now, guess how many evangelical Christians there are? She said, too close. <laughs> 200. 20 million people in a city. 200 are born again, uh, self identified Christians. Okay? Um, our church is six times just about the, the size of, of Christians, just here and where we gather in that city. It's lost us. So we uh, got to go and spend time with them, but it was overwhelming how lost that city was. And so I just want to dig for a second and just encourage you in three ways. Number one is please remember your sins. They're not super Christians. They're Christians who are living out their identity as witnesses. They simply received a call to go to a different city or place. So remember them. We've got ways that you can pray for your, your uh, missionaries in the back. We've got cards. Uh, make sure you need to spend time as a family, as an individual with friends. It's practical. Um, two is go. Um, in a few uh, weeks, Rebecca, we'll be announcing short-term trips that we have going next year. Perhaps you're not called to go on a mission field permanently, but take some time and go on a short-term trip. Visit and encourage um, our missionaries who are asking for us to come and to encourage them and to help very specific. Um, but third, if you're not, uh, if you feel in a deeper call, go full time to the mission field. Some of you here feel that call, have had that call for a long time, but fear or finances or insecurities is keeping you from pressing into the mission. And I want to encourage you: people that are older there are not superhuman. They're not super Christians. They're just like you and me, seeking to live faithfully for Jesus. But they had a call to go. And so if you want to discern their call, we have a school of missions, we have a, a mission director, a mission pastor, who would love to talk to you about that. But people are lost. There's over 2 billion people in this world who do not know the name of Jesus and do not know that God can know their name and that he can walk with them and talk. And so let's be the light that God has called us to be. Let's press into our call as witnesses. Amen? We're going to pray and we're going to Oh Lord, thank you so much uh, for uh, your grace. Uh, thank you for uh, just the way that you love us, the way that we are known by you. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to allow us to press into that and to know you and to make you known. I pray, Lord, that as I preach that your word will go out uh, with power. I pray that it will go out with clarity. Holy Spirit, we desperately need you to take um, this message, take my five loaves and two fish and multiply it in people's hearts. Uh, for your name's sake and glory, not to us, not to us, but to your name, give glory. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. So one of the things that was uh, fun to learn and experience, why this was um, the difference of, of just culture, right? Whenever we uh, go to a different city, to a different neighborhood, uh, let alone to a different country, we just have different cultures, right? And, uh, and, and, and so while we were there in Istanbul, one thing that I noticed that was beautiful was that uh, the people within that city love kids. I mean, we would be out to a meal, and it was a regular practice for the strangers to come up and start playing with kids, like, you know, take their cheeks. And I, I'm thinking to myself, I'm a little touchy when it comes to my kids. I'm like, hold oh, on, did you ask? You know, everybody's <laughs> touching everybody's kids and just hugging them. 
Uh, it's normal for waiters to kind of come around and to give uh, free food uh, to kids um, because they love children. That was just beautiful. It was just breathtaking. It's like, wow, this is a beautiful part of this culture. But something that caught me off guard was learning and seeing people at the same time call kids ugly. It was so interesting. <laughs> like the way they would they come to kids and be like, hey, ugly, ugly. And I'm like, ugly. <laughs> and I was so confused. So we talked to uh, a team that was there about that, and they said that there's a superstition there that's all within their culture, just like we have superstitions and things that people come to America and they don't understand. Um, and, and what it is is they believe that if a child is focused on too much because of the way they look, that that child will come under a curse. And so instead of acknowledging the beauty of a child or how handsome a child is, they reverse it and they say ugly. And by ugly they mean pretty. But it's a way to psych out the demons, right? And so they were like, oh, you're so ugly. You're so ugly. Like, you know. And the parents like, oh, thank you. I'm like, thank you. This is okay. But that's their culture, you know? That's, that's how they related. Some parents put a bracelet on a kid so that uh, uh, to keep these demons, to keep these spirits away from these kids. Um, and that's part of what makes cross-cultural ministry in general just difficult, right? Is because when you come from one culture uh, to another city, another place, they have a different set of beliefs and values and culture. They have different superstitions, different ways to communicate, and you may not always know. So you need someone to translate that. And here at Sojourn Midtown, one of our core values is biblical faithfulness. Okay? Uh, we believe that uh, uh, the Bible uh, should, should form us, should shape and fuel the way that we, the way that we and part of my job, part of your other pastors' jobs when they preach is to help bridge that gap of culture. Uh, part of what we do all week is to read and to study, to learn about uh, the first century and the, the cities and the towns that received this message's work so that we can know what it meant to the original hearers, but also build a bridge to today so that we can know. And so that's hard, it's, but it's also fun. It's what I love to do, it's what your pastors love to do. But one thing that's happened in this text today that really doesn't need a whole lot of explanation because this week, I guarantee you, about 90% of us experience this, is that there's a, there's a, there's a conflict. There's tension. Uh, and that cuts across culture. No matter what culture you're in, no matter where you're born, there is a possibility for conflict and tension. And in this text, there's conflict and tension, but who is involved in the conflict and tension is to the original hearers would have been shocking as they read this letter. It's Paul and Peter. Paul and Peter are the apostles of the new church. They are Christ's messengers. They've received a special revelation from Jesus Christ. They are the bedrock of the church. And the Bible says that Paul has a beef with Peter. And he goes to Peter, looks at him in his face, and confronts him in front of everyone. What we'll learn is the reason they confronted Peter in front of everyone. Now he's writing, and his letter is circulating all over the place. And everyone, the churches are everywhere, is going to know about this conflict. The reason he's writing them is, is because Peter deviates from the gospel. Okay? Deviates from the gospel. This word deviate the word, is where we get the prefix of the word ortho from, which means straight, right? Go to a Orthodontics, straight. This word deviate. Peter is not walking in a straight line in 
in regards to the gospel. And this is a huge issue because the reason Paul is writing to the church of Galatia is to confront them from deviating from the gospel. Because they're preaching Jesus and receiving a message, Jesus plus. The salvation is not found in Christ alone and his finished work. The salvation is found in Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus uh, the, the laws, uh, uh, the, the dietary laws of Moses. Jesus plus a, a Jewish way of living. And they're putting this burden on Gentiles. And you would expect after Paul talks about how uh, Peter and James uh, uh, and the other apostles affirm Paul and Barnabas on mission to the Gentiles in the next section um, that he changes the subject or talks more happily about how they support it. But instead he says, yo, uh, yes, they affirmed us in Jerusalem, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to confront him because even though Peter was confirming us with his lips and was preaching the gospel with his lips, his fork and his feet said different. This is important for us to know, Sojourn Community Church. We can have the right orthodoxy, the right doctrine. Our doctrine can be in line. But if we don't have the right work of praxis, the right practice, if our feet aren't following what our mind knows, then we have to question where our heart is. And so we see that they are in Antioch. Antioch is a very diverse city. It's called Little Rome. Paul has to confront Peter. And the reason that Peter is deviating, the reason that Peter is afraid, uh, is deviating is because he's afraid. And what is he afraid of? He's afraid, the Bible has kind of two groups mentioned here, the circumcision party and James' people. Okay. So the circumcision party is a party that was saying, yes, Jesus, but it's Jesus plus circumcision. Um, the Apostle James was one of the four pillars of the church back in Jerusalem and Judea. And we read in Acts chapter 15 in a later account that people um, were putting this weight on Gentiles. And the apostles had to gather together to bring clarity to what the gospel is. And that salvation is not Jesus plus, it's Jesus only. And that being a Christian does not mean that you have to adopt Jewish cultural practices. Now, now, Jewish cultural practices weren't evil in themselves. God created them. And Jewish particularism uh, wasn't bad in itself, but it had a, uh, a, 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 a life shelf, uh, a time in which after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the people of God would not identify in that particular way. But these, the circumcision part would say, no, this is how you must identify if you're a Gentile. You must be circumcised. You must eat these things. And so Peter's feeling this pressure right from James' people as they are coming and they're saying, um, putting pressure on them. Now, Peter is not a guy that is written easily with fear. Peter, Peter has some gospel checks, right? Like with Peter, man, Peter, Peter can be a little rough around the edges. Um, uh, Peter sometimes can be the most courageous of all disciples. You guys remember uh, that one evening when Jesus decides to walk on water? He's just kind of like, man, he's like, I'm God. Let me just show how God I am. And just one evening, he's like, yo, I missed the ferry. I missed the boat across the way. So I'm just going to go for a stroll. And he goes for a stroll. He's walking on water. 
all the disciples, rightfully so, are just like freaking out. I would be like, no, what was in that water you just gave me, right? But, but Peter's like, no, that's dope. And number one, and number two, I want to do that myself. So he asked Jesus, can he, can he come? And this is the Jamal Standard Version Bible. It's a little paraphrase, right? And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water. Like, that's courage. Now he ends up sinking because of fear, but he, he can be courageous. I mean, think of how much courage it takes to see Jesus being betrayed by a kiss. And you're surrounded by Roman centurions and Jewish leaders who want Jesus crucified. And you take off out a sword and cut off his ear. Right? Gee, like Peter was courageous. Not only was he courageous, Peter, he wasn't against Gentile Christians. He didn't stop eating with them because he didn't believe in the mission. No, in Acts chapter 10, he had a vision from God that told him that this is the new thing that I'm doing. Remember, she came down from heaven. There was all kind of mammals on the sheep. God said, take and eat. Peter's like, no, I can't eat because I'm clean. God's like, who are you talking back to? Don't call unclean what I call clean. And then Peter learns to enjoy barbecue. And she, right? That's Acts 10. So he wasn't against the Gentiles, and he enjoyed, like, pork and barbecue. He learned to enjoy it. But all of a sudden, he's changing his diet and he's not fellowshipping with the Gentiles. And the reason why is I believe that there is all kind of pressure. Pressure from non-Christian uh, 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 Jewish people. They're saying what you guys are doing is heretical and they're persecuting uh, Gentiles. They're persecuting the church. But there's also probably pressure from Jewish Christians who are using James' name because James is preaching the gospel but using James' name and his authority to cause confusion. And we do this. Growing up, we did this. You probably went to your mom and said, Mom, Dad said, I can have uh, some dessert before dinner. And then your father heard, like, uh, no, I didn't, right? But you used his name for authority. My son did this yesterday. <laughs> Downstairs in the basement with my kids. And I hear him tell his sister to give him the remote because Daddy said so. And so what did I do? I had to yell down and say, no, I didn't. He's like, well, well, it's my turn. I'm like, well, don't use my name as the authority to do what you want. Right? And that's probably what's happening from this group that's from James. They're using James, the Apostle James' name to get what they want. And what they want is for Gentile Christians to live like Jews, culturally like Jews, because they believe that Jesus is not what ultimately saves is Jesus plus their cultural uh, their, their cultural expectations and norms. And so Paul confronts that. And we're talking in this series about what it means to be free. And what I'm arguing is, is what we've been arguing is that freedom, true freedom comes when we see ourselves in light of who God is and what he calls us. And then when we find that type of freedom, we're able to live boldly for Jesus in the midst of persecution. In Galatians chapter 1, and, uh, we see verses 1 through 10 that that's what Paul is telling the church. He's saying, listen, God made me an apostle, not me. I'm Christ's servant, not yours. And he's able to confront a whole uh, church that is spread throughout the city that's believing a false gospel and able to have confidence because at the end of the day, he knows that he's Christ's servant and, not, and he's not the servant of people, first and foremost. And so he stands up to Peter and listen to what he tells Peter. 
But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, that they were not walking in a straight line with the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? He called them out for his hypocrisy. Now later on we're going to see that Peter's going to talk about the importance of walking in the Spirit. So when I read this, this conflict, I believe that Peter did this in a spiritual way. He did this out of love. Out of love for God, out of love for the church, and out of love for Peter. And he loved the church, and he loved the gospel so much that he said, I can't let you get away from deviating from the gospel. Why? Because if you, the leader, deviates from the gospel, other people are going to deviate from the gospel. And that's exactly what happens. The text says that the other Jewish people, just like Peter, when he stepped back from table fellowship, the other Jewish people, they stopped eating with Gentiles. So now you have this division in the church between Jew and Gentile. And read in Ephesians chapter 2 that Paul says Christ came in order to tear down this wall of separation so that we might be one unified body built up in the spirit. But now you got people beefing with each other because they're falling in different places. And Paul says you're not walking a straight line. You're curving, you're deviating. You know what the text says? Paul says I condemned him to his face. That's strong language. Yo, this is Paul. This is Paul. This is Romans 8, 1, Paul. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And what does he say? I condemned him to his face. Is this a contradiction? Oh, well, Paul is saying, listen, and here's what we need to hear, church. It's not just about orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means to have the, the right doctrine. Being faithful to the gospel is also having the right orthopraxy. It's being faithful in practice. You can know the gospel and preach the gospel and undermine the gospel and deviate from the gospel by how you walk and live. You can say it's Jesus plus nothing and live as if it's Jesus plus everything to be made right with God. You can say that salvation is by grace through faith. And even without ever opening your mouth to contradict it, contradicted by the way you look at someone who doesn't raise their children the same way that you do, or who don't vote the same way that you vote, or who don't have the same preferences of music or worship or lifestyle that you have. You can undermine the gospel by putting a burden on someone and essentially saying, um, I can't fellowship with you because of a preference that I have. When they genuinely belong to Jesus because they believe in salvation by faith through grace. So Paul said, no, I had to condemn him to his faith because if he continues to walk like this, he will be anathematized, he will be cursed, just like these false teachers who are accursed because they're preaching a false gospel. Can't say amen, say ouch. Like, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Behind you, your salvation will work rest on you saying something. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so I want us to remember a couple things. Number one, I want us to remember that we all stumble in many ways. This is the Apostle Peter that's being confronted, right? And that should actually bring encouragement. Like an apostle 
got it wrong. And you and I, we're going to get it wrong. Other people are going to get it wrong. But in Christ, there's space to get it wrong. Number two is that our sin impacts others. I want you to see how Peter's hypocrisy, and here the name Cephas, Cephas means rock, that's another name for Peter, how Peter's hypocrisy led other people to live hypocritically. And before we get to the direct application I really want to narrow in on, I just want you to think about that. And I don't want you, if the Holy Spirit is pressing on you in a specific area where you know that your beliefs and your practice are not living like you're deviating from it in the way that you are living. I want you to see this invitation today. Today. To repent. Come to the real Jesus and allow those to, to impact. Why? Because the way we live as Christians impacts other people. Say, we say that we're Christian. We talk about Christianity. We, we, we quote verses at work. We use the Bible to trump people at work. And then our lives and the way we live is, is completely walking contrary to, to what we're saying. That's a problem. Today we're going to see this invitation to allow those to line up. Two quick <coughs> applications. Two quick applications. This text calls us to live and to preach the gospel. To live and to preach the gospel, not national, ethnic, political, social, or economic identity, etc. And here's what I mean. What I mean is, Paul calls Peter out first and foremost for what? From deviating from the gospel. And how is he deviating from the gospel? Because not by his words, but by his actions, he was saying that. Um, in order to be made right with God, is Jesus plus something else. I can't fellowship. I'm not going to eat with you. Even though I know it's true that I can, I'm not going to because I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Okay? And what Paul is calling Peter to, he's saying, no, don't give that up. Lean into the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Keep eating with them and let the chips fall where they may. But what the Judaizers was doing and perhaps other Jewish Christians were doing, is they were um, living with ethnocentrism. They were failing to see that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there was no longer a need of a, a sign from circumcision. And that God had declared all these other animals clean. And that the right way to God is through Jesus Christ, not the works, but through His works. His atonement on the cross. But they couldn't get over their own identity. Those that preached and proclaimed by apostles, they, they chose to cling to their own identity. They just couldn't give it up. They couldn't fellowship. And these are people with inside the church too, Jewish Christians that still put this pressure on, on Gentiles. They just couldn't give it up because they were finding their identity in these things. Now here's the thing I want you to hear me say. National, ethnic, political, and social and economic identity, there is good, beautiful, and true things in them. And we don't want to not acknowledge those. I don't know if you know this, but I'm an African-American man. A man. Not men, I'm not plural. One. I'm <laughs> Trinitarian going on here. <laughs> I am. Okay? And I've had people time and time again tell me that I 
hope that's always the case, especially after this comment I'm about to make. But being a faithful Christian does not mean that I have to ignore my ethnic identity. No, God gave me my ethnic identity. God gave you your ethnic identity. And there is good and beauty and truth that all I know with God created us in this image that we should celebrate and that we should be thankful for. But what Christ comes to do is he comes to transform all of me. As an African-American man, and there's things perhaps within my culture and the way I was raised and within my family identity that needs to be redeemed. And the way that that's redeemed is through Jesus Christ. And my primary identity is the fact that I am a Christian, that I am beloved, that I've been justified, declared right, and made right with God through Jesus Christ and his atonement. Everything else, every other part of my identity is subservient to that identity. And when those things become confused, chaos ensues. Bitterness ensues. Hypocrisy ensues. And it's just not with ethnic identity. Now, I'm just going to keep it real. Can I keep it real? Yes. Okay, even if you say no, I'm going to keep it real. I'm really concerned with Christian, Christianity in America. Across all stripes. Across all political signs. Because what I see in here is Jesus plus. I talk to too many brothers and sisters of Christ who talk to other people who don't vote the same way that they vote. And there is a disgust. There is a disgust. In fact, I've heard plenty say that they don't believe another person because they don't vote the same way that they do can be a Christian. And now voting and how we vote and what we believe is important. And we, and I need to have conversations with people on both the right, left, middle, front, and back, and all sides. Because sometimes the way that we vote and the way that we invest ourselves into politics is concerning. And you do have to poke around and start asking some questions. But to generally categorize people and to say, because you don't see the world the way that I see it, though you place your faith and trust in Jesus and you're seeking to live out the gospel in a faithful way to him. Is Jesus plus. And it's not just with politics, y'all. I'm talking about not just our beliefs. Because some of us, we, we say all the right things. And I'm the same way. There's hypocrisy in my heart that this week I've been praying for. Exposed it. And that's why we need the body of Christ. We need people to expose it. Like you say this, but I notice you do this. Like you say you love all people. But I notice the type of people that you invite over to your house for meals. All are in social economic stratosphere. And all can give you something. You, like y'all, you say that you're a church for the broken, for the lost, and for the weary, but when someone is broken, lost, and weary, um, you, you judge them and treat them as if they're beneath you, and you break from fellowship with them. And at the end of the day, we have to see that being faithful to the gospel is not just ascending to a group of truths, mentally and intellectually. It's allowing Christ to captivate our heart so that through his Holy Spirit and through his power, we live it out. We eat with Gentile Christians. So who's, who's a Gentile Christian for you? Who's the person that's in the body of Christ that you find yourself, or the type of person, constantly ignoring or looking down upon? Who's the person that you're 
you're, you're tempted to limit fellowship with. And I want to argue uh, that, that when you do that, what's happening is you're seeking to find self-esteem, you're seeking to find self-worth outside of God's gospel. Because when we compare ourselves to other people, and when we are able to look down upon another brother and sister of Christ who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ because of our preferences, then our identity is not in Jesus. Our identity is in what we prefer. I know you get, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna go there. I'll never forget. I first moved down here uh, to go to seminary. And I had a great floor. I was on the floor with some, some really nice guys, some kind guys. But, uh, uh, racially, ethnically and, and culturally, we were just different. And I'll never forget playing some music, Christian gospel music, on my stereo. I was getting ready in the morning to have my door open and having a group of guys come to my room and berate me on my preference of music, um, telling me that it, it, it wasn't as strong as theirs because it wasn't hymns and it wasn't, a, it was very cultural. And the disgust in which they talk, we've been listening to you for uh, over a month. Play your music. This black gospel music. And let me tell you all the reasons why this is unacceptable. And let me tell you why this is right. And, and why are they just repeating the, uh, uh, the chorus over and over? Are they trying to get you in a, in a trance? I'm like, bro, have you read the songs? <laughs> I have, have you read the repetitive nature of the song? Like, what are you talking about? But they're, they're such a pride. And, and I'm not going to put that on them. Like, like, I can do that. I can spiritualize stuff that I prefer and put that on other people as if it's gospel when it's a preference. And what Christ says with his life when, and, and his death and his resurrection says is that our preferences need to be crucified for the sake of unity. There's a reason why Sunday morning still is the most divided hour in America. There's a reason why there's so much vitriol on social media between Christians. As if it's like an all-Christian social media. Like only Christians are watching, so we're having a Christian fight. No. The same people we're trying to witness to at work. The same family members that we're trying to share our faith with over a Thanksgiving meal is watching us tear each other down over preferences or viewpoints. And we're condemning people over stuff we shouldn't be condemning them. If you want to stand up and talk to someone and confront them face to face, let it be about the gospel. And then when you do it, speak the truth in love and do it because you're genuinely concerned about them. And even then, take time to hear them and know, make sure you understand where they're coming from and what they're arguing before you assume that you have it right and they have it wrong. Like Paul spent some time with Judaizers. Paul spent some time with Jewish Christians. He knew their arguments. He knew why they're wrong and how they're wrong. And he was shown that. And he did so with urgency and with conviction. Because salvation really was at stake. God has called us to have a convictional kindness. God is, is calling us to do that. And finally, I, I went way too long on that, but I want this last point real quick. Believe that the gospel can reconcile our new brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's what I mean. Y'all, this is big. This is bold. This is beautiful. Listen up. Think about what's happening here. 
The Apostle Paul confronts Peter in front of people and then writes a letter that's going to be circulated to churches everywhere. Now, if I'm Peter, and I'm not, and if I don't have on my whole armor, like my gospel armor on, I'm crushed. I'm like trying to figure out where I can go and nobody knows me. <laughs> I'm like wondering if I should be like demoted from apostle to like prophet. <laughs> and if I'm Peter, I'm shook. I'm, like, I'm genuinely shook. If I'm not wearing my gospel clothes, but Peter is going to put on his gospel clothes, take this confrontation, repent, and line back up with the gospel. And I argue that this, ladies and gentlemen, is Christianity at its best. Christianity at its best is not about being pristine and perfect. Christianity at its best is believing in a bloody, crucified Savior who is our mediator and who says what makes you right with me is not your performance, but is my performance and you putting your faith and trust in me. And that when you fall, if you fall, you have a mediator you don't have to fall. You don't have to stumble. You don't have to deviate from the gospel. The Spirit can and will uh, keep us in certain ways. But we're still sinners and we're still human. And if we fall, we have a mediator in Christ Jesus. And not only do we have a mediator, but when we repent, we can lift up our head, we can put our shoulders back, and we can walk as divinely loved children of God. And that's what I love about Peter. Because all throughout the scriptures, man, Peter's doing like he has some good moments, great moments, phenomenal moments. Followed by what do you think? <laughs> Walk on water. Got afraid. He sank. But he had to have that gospel chest to get back in the boat. Can you imagine people teasing him? Man, you see how you would go? You're like, oh, give me this. Like, yeah, but I walk on water. I mean, all throughout his ministry, this was Peter. Philippi, Caesarea. Jesus asked the question, so Peter, Peter, who, who do men to the disciples? Y'all, who do men say God? Peter gives a profound answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everybody shouts, glory, hallelujah. Next conversation, Jesus is like, hey, I'm about to be crucified. I'm about to raise from the dead. Peter says, nah, no, you won't. I forbid it. I won't allow it to happen. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Strong words. Peter didn't give up, he didn't go home and hide, he kept living in the kingdom. Because he was learning to live out the gospel. Mount Transfiguration, same thing. He sees Elijah, he sees Moses, he sees Jesus, has this epiphany. Let's build three tabernacles. He's like, that's a horrible idea. <laughs> I'm the only one that you should worship. Peter didn't give up, he presses in. Perhaps what's more impressive, more impressive than those three is that. Jesus tells Peter, he's like, yo, Peter, Satan came to me, we chopped it up, we had a conversation. He desires to sift you as when he wants to take you out. But I just want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you. Peter says, no, no, Lord, I just want you to understand that these other disciples, they're all going to turn your back on you, but never me. He's like, before the end of the night, you will betray me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Betrays him, turns his back on him, acts like they, acts like they 
last three and a half years. Act like Jesus didn't heal his mother when she was suffering from, from a fever. Act like he didn't give him purpose and, and help him find his identity and security in him. He just, he just ignores him. And, and it's not even men that's questions, a little girl that questions him. He like, he like, he like trips over a girl questioning him because of fear and denies him three times. And, and then Jesus comes and restores him. Tells him he loves him. Ask him, do you love him? That's the gospel. And that's what Sojourn Midtown is about. We're about the gospel. And, and Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. It's not Jesus and our performance. It's Jesus. It's not Jesus and putting up a, a certain air and trying to come off a certain way. No, if you believe the gospel, whoever is standing in front of you, you believe that they are created by God. They are from the dust. They're going to return to the dust and that they are a sinner and that they need Jesus for salvation from home. And there's no reason for us to impress each other, try to please each other first and foremost. It's to, to, to accept what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and to live out of that. Peter didn't get his apostleship card revoked. Instead, just a few years later, Paul is going to write to the church of Corinth, and he's going to commend Peter to the church of Corinth, along with James, saying that they preach the same gospel as I do. And so here's my, here's my point. Soldier in town. Will we do likewise? Will we have hard conversations with people in which we are confronting them and then allow them to repent and to them as if as if as if it's never happened? Will we allow ourselves to be confronted by people when we find ourselves deviating and not live in, in shame and fear and guilt and, and not hide from that person but rather live in gratitude that they love us enough to have a hard conversation to our family? Only the gospel frees us to do that. Because in the gospel, we agree with God that we are sinners, that we are imperfect, that we are broken. But even though that's true, we are more loved than we ever could imagine, ever could deserve. I want, I want us to be in a church that rattles Satan love Jesus genuinely, but who don't always agree politically. Uh, people who are working in all forms of society and gifted in all different ways, but who bleed Jesus. And who have their arms open and says, welcome to the family. And by God's grace, I believe we'll become that more and more. But I want to encourage us to do that. And we do that not by majoring in we do that by majoring in the master. Jesus. Let's confuse Satan by being a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church that keeps the main thing the main thing. Jesus. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his disciples, so we call it communion. 
Every Sunday we take this meal together to remind us of our union with Christ, which comes as a result of Him being crucified. When the night Jesus betrayed, He took bread, He gave thanks and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, He took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you Christian proclaim the Lord's death unto you. And every week when we take this as Christians, we take this as people from different backgrounds, who have different preferences, who have different ways to see the world, but we all come to Christ the same way, through His broken body and blood. And we take this meal to remind ourselves of the forgiveness that we have through Jesus. And we take it from the same pieces of love to remind us that we are part of the same family. Here at Sojourn, take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine and juice, the wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you not to partake in this meal. But my plea and my hope is that you would come to know Jesus, and Jesus who forgives and restores and renews. And we say, your works are not going to make you right with my Father, only by trusting me. Come to know him. Until you do that, we're going to ask you not to partake in this meal. This meal is, is reserved for Christians. If you want to learn more about what it means to be a Christian, in just a second, uh, we're going to have the prayer chapel open, and there are people that you can talk to about that to help you to learn or to decide um, to make the decision. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, if you want prayer, you can go to the prayer chapel as well as we have a prayer and a guidance team ready to receive. Let's pray.